Lord Jesus Christ, please be our guest, our morning joy, and our evening rest. And with this weekly word in part, your grace and truth within our hearts. We pray this in your most precious and holy name, and all God's people agreed and said, amen. A priest, a rabbi, and a pastor went out on a fishing trip one pleasant afternoon. After an hour or so of fishing, they were having pleasant conversations and reeling a few in, and the priest had to use the restroom. So instead of having everybody row back to shore and interrupting this time together, he hopped out of the boat, walked across the water, went and used the restroom, walked across the water, and hopped back in the boat. Well, about a half hour later, the pastor also had to answer the call of nature. So he, like the priest, hopped out of the boat, walked across the water, went and used the restroom, walked back across the water, and then hopped back in the boat. Well, a little while later, the the Jewish rabbi needed to use the restroom too. And he's like, "If, if these guys can do it, I can do it. I mean, I know they're Jesus guys, but I'm a man of God too. So the rabbi hops out of the boat, sinks down into the water, and and the priest and the pastor have to reach down and kind of help him back up in the boat. And as they're doing this, the priest leans over to the pastor and says, should we tell them where the rocks are? <laughs> Welcome to the Father's Day message for 2022. While this message is certainly for men, there will also be application for women. And women, let not your hearts be troubled, even though the title of the message is Jesus and Men, If you're here with us last month on Mother's Day, we had a sermon entitled Jesus and Women. So we are equal opportunity offender, I mean providers here for you this morning. You know, being a guy and following Jesus is sometimes an interesting proposition for us because we think that we need to know where all the rocks are and how to step and do things in a certain way. And because we're guys in our guyness, we don't always like to ask for help. We just kinda wanna know how to do things or we wanna be able to do it on our own. And because we're guys, sometimes we don't like to take risks unless we're sure and certain that we can do something with a certain amount of success. And so sometimes when you're faced with the things of God, it can be a little daunting because God is God and we are not. And we we look at following Jesus, we're like, man, I just don't know enough. I'm not sure I'm the right kind of guy. I don't seem to be built for this kind of church kind of thing. But yet Jesus still invites us into ministry with him. Jesus still invites us into a relationship with him. And yes, Jesus calls men into ministry. Jesus calls men into ministry with him, to join him. And he does it without any prerequisite of education, without any prerequisite of education, or experience rather, and without any specialized training. In fact, consider the call of the disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, whose brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were... Fishermen, they weren't seminary students. They didn't go to a Concordia College or university. They were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus called Simon and Andrew here. In just a moment, he's going to call James and John, the sons of Zebedee, to also join with him. They were also fishermen. 
being called into ministry with Jesus isn't necessarily an invitation to full-time church work, although it could be because there's no greater adventure vocationally than working for the church. I love my job. I love being your pastor. Um, and, it's, and it's a great job. It's a great profession. And if you are a young person, considering the things of God, considering the service of church, I would encourage you to do so, and we'd be happy to talk to you more about that. But being called into ministry with Jesus, again, does not mean full-time church work necessarily, but it does mean that like the man who was exercised of those demons and healed and made whole by Jesus, that you would tell others of the things that God has done for you. You would recount for others the blessings that God has given to you in your life. You would witness and share the difference that Jesus Christ has made in your life. And you would be willing to come alongside other men, other people, and encourage them to consider Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not only does Jesus call men into ministry, he understands men and all people Follow along here as I read. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Not just man as in a guy, but man as in humanity, mankind. Jesus knows your heart. He understands the capacity and the challenges of your mind. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what your secret sins are that you're ashamed of. And even with that knowledge of who you are, who you really are, he still desires to have a relationship to you, still gives you his promise of eternal life, still goes ahead of you to prepare a place for you when you pass from this life to the next, and still wants you to be present, active, involved in his church right here and right now. Now, for me, once people get to know me, they don't really like me. But on the outside, I'm a pretty good guy, right? It just takes some time for people to condone me before they say, oh, I'm not sure about him. But Jesus knows that stuff about us already, and he still wants to hang out with us, still calls us into ministry with them. And he also gives us some significant and spiritual blessings to help us along the way. First is the forgiveness of our sins. Yes, Jesus understands men. He understands people. He also forgives men and forgives people. Recall the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. Jesus is in the center of this house. And the crowds have gathered around him in this house, so much so that no one else can get into the house, no matter what entrance they try. Four friends want to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus to have Jesus heal him. They can't get in through the regular door, so they go up the stairs on the side. They go over to the roof, and they figure out where Jesus might be. They actually dig through that roof, and then using ropes, they lower their friend down on this mat. And as Jesus sees what is happening, he sees the faith of the friends, sees this man being lowered on this mat, Jesus points to him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
And then Jesus continues because those around him might challenge him. Who is this guy that's trying to forgive sins? Who's this guy who's trying to heal and help people? Jesus shares these words, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose, immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never, excuse me, we never saw anything like this. You know, fellas, interesting. It could be that the faith of the four friends prompted Jesus to action. The gospels do not record that the paralyzed man said anything to Jesus, asked to be healed, much less asked for his sins to be forgiven. But Jesus sees the faith of the friends and then acts on behalf of this man. And I'm wondering if you have friends who could use the action of Jesus in their life. Do you have friends that you need to pray for? Do you have friends that you need to come alongside and help? Do you have friends who you need to introduce Jesus to so Jesus can heal them and help them as well? It seems that Jesus acts when faithful friends rise up on behalf of their friends. Jesus forgives men. Jesus also affirms faith in men. There's a story in the Gospels of a Roman centurion, not a Jewish centurion or a Jewish guard, but a Roman centurion. Romans did not necessarily believe as strongly in the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as did the Jewish folks, the Israelites. So we have a Roman centurion. He's going to Jesus and he sends people to Jesus because one of his servants in his household is sick and near death. And he believes that Jesus can do something about it. As the, uh, the messengers are going to interact with Jesus, other messengers come and say, don't bother the Lord, this servant has already died. But in this action, of placing faith and trust in Jesus to heal and help a friend, to heal and help this servant, Jesus responds with this regarding the faith of the Roman centurion. He says, I tell you not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Friends, this morning, I'm not sure where your faith in Jesus is. If it's strong and steady, if it's floundering and a bit faulty, if it's somewhere in between. Jesus knows the condition of your heart. He knows the challenges that are on your mind. He understands our selfish inclination. He also realizes the stress that we are under. He loves you. He understands you. He's called you to be with him in ministry. He's forgiven your sins. He also sees your faith and he affirms that. He likes that. He rejoices in that. And he wants to continue to see you grow in that faith. Next, Jesus also models servanthood. As men, sometimes we're called to be leaders. Leaders in our marriages, leaders in our families, leaders in our organizations, leaders in the church, leaders in the community. Even today, there's still this expectation that kind of men will lead the way or men could lead the way. And sometimes... It's confusing as to what that means. Does that mean I'm supposed to speak first, act first, do first? Does that mean I'm supposed to kind of delegate things to others or, or give orders or commands to others? 
that they might follow me or, 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 or listen to what I say or do as I'm, I'm telling them to do? What does that mean? Jesus here models a different kind of servanthood and actually talks about this idea of servanthood and the humility that it calls for. Jesus said this, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Recall Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. He's got a big agenda for that evening. He wants to celebrate the Passover with his disciples to recall that act of deliverance in the great Exodus event with Moses leading the children of Israel through the Red Sea, escaping the oppression and slavery under the Pharaoh of the Egyptians. He wants to celebrate the Passover with his friends. Not only that, but he also wants to institute the Lord's Supper with them, doing this new thing and providing himself as a means of blessing and the reception of faith and forgiveness and unity in Christ in the sacred and special meal. Not only that, but he also wants to teach his disciples about what life is like in the coming kingdom of God. There's a lot going on. Then after the meal, he's gonna pray with them, and then after that, Judas is going to betray them, and then after that, he's got trials that will last all through the night, and the next day, he's going to give his life for the sake of the world. Lots going on, lots on the agenda. Before any of that, Remember what Jesus does as they're gathered in that upper room? He changes his clothes. He gets a basin, fills it with water, gets a towel, stoops down and washes his disciples' feet. Even the feet of Judas, the one who would betray him. Amazing. Incredible. The Son of God, the promised Savior of the world, the one in whom the fullness of God exists in bodily human form, stoops down and washes the feet of ordinary people, ordinary men that he's called into ministry with him. With all of their sins, with all of their shortcomings, with all of their selfishness, with all of their sinister nature even, Jesus stoops down and washes their feet. And he teaches them, as I have done for you, you will do for others. The one who wants to be greatest has to be least. Whoever wants to be first has to be last. He humbles himself and serves them. Jesus goes first. Men, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus and we go first. And that means being humble. That means drawing upon the likeness of God. That means serving others. That means listening before speaking. That means communicating and collaborating before doing. Sometimes that's hard, that's difficult to do, but that's what Jesus is calling us to do, to follow in his ways. How can we do this? It's difficult. If it were up to me, I couldn't do it on my own. If it were up to you, maybe it's challenging for you too, depending on how you're built, depending on what your personality and approach to life is. But thanks be to God that Jesus empowers us and equips us for this task. Jesus gives us first the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. It happens in and through baptism. The Holy Spirit resides within us, assuring us of saving faith in Christ, forgiving us our sins, and giving us that promise of eternal life. 
that promise that was just received today in holy baptism. And not only that, Jesus reminds us of his power for us. Recall the story in the Gospels of Jesus sending out the 72. This is not only the 12, but also other followers of Jesus. And he gives them power and authority over demons, over unclean spirits. He also gives them the ability, the power and authority, to heal people and to help people in his name. After the 72 go out, they come back and they have all these great stories to share of changed and transformed lives and the power that they were able to have over these demons, over these unclean spirits, and the power that God gave them to heal people and help people. And Jesus says this in response to their report, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The power and authority of Jesus to do the ministry that he's called you into. What a blessing that is. That power, that authority is still available and accessible to you to help people in Jesus' name, to serve those among you, to be humble in your approach to leadership, to listen and to love people and have them consider who Jesus is and invite them into a closer relationship with the Lord. But don't forget that the rejoicing also happens because your names are written in the book of life. God loves you. God forgives you. God sent his son Jesus for you. And because of that, there's nothing you have to do in order to inherit eternal life. It's already been accomplished for you through the personal work of Christ. I don't know about you, and this is not just with guys, but I do know guys struggle with this. Um, you ask a guy, how you doing? And he says... Good, fine. It's a short one-word grunt. Or you, you stop by, and, um, and I did this even yesterday working in my yard. I was uh, getting a tiller up into the back of my minivan because I'm too cheap to buy a truck. And, and I'm too uh, rushed and busy to do things in a proper way, so I kind of have to, to, to rig things and do things in a pseudo-unsafe way. And sure enough, one of my neighbors is walking by with his wife and says, hey, Pastor, you need a hand? Nope, I got it. So I've got two planks of wood going up in the back of my minivan. And I can't push it all the way up in neutral, right? So I need a little power. So what do I do? And I'm basically making a deal with the Lord. Lord, this is either going to go really good or really bad. Shifted into one because I am a little bit smart instead of third gear, right? And I drive that thing up. It stays on those wooden planks, goes right into my minivan, and I, I cut it before it does any damage to the seats in the back. And I'm like, yes! Confirmed in my male stupidity and pride until the next adventure. God have mercy on us, you know? <laughs> wow. But thanks be to God that he gives us second chances. Jesus and Peter had some work to do after his crucifixion and resurrection. If you recall, before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus and the disciples, and especially Peter, had that, this moment when Jesus said, you will all fall away on account of me. And Peter says, no, Lord, even if I have to 
die, I won't fall away from you. I'll never deny you. And of course, Jesus responds and says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. And of course, we know that Peter does this. So it's after the resurrection. Jesus has appeared to disciples. Jesus has gathered disciples together. Jesus has often and even given them a miraculous catch of fish. How many fish? The gospel writer John says 153 fish. And as they're, they're, they're bringing them to shore, Jesus has breakfast all prepared for them on a little fire there. There's bread and fish. And a little later after that episode, Jesus and Peter have this moment together. And Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me the third time? And that's the one that hurt. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Jesus could have said, Peter, because you denied me not once but three times, you're on the bench. Because when the going gets tough, you don't cut the mustard. You don't have what it takes. You don't trust in me. You don't believe in me. You deny me. How can I count on you to do the work that I need you to do? Three strikes and you're out, Peter. Go sit down. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus gave Peter a second chance. He restored him. And then he gave him meaningful work to do. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Take care of my people, teach them about me, share my love and forgiveness with them. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that he gives us second chances because we need them and we certainly need more than just a second chance, don't we? That's the beauty of Jesus and men. That's the beauty of Jesus and all people that he's able and willing to give us second chances. Not just to make it to eternity. His grace and mercy are always for us through the promises and power of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection for us. But also to join him in ministry and to connect more and more people to Jesus. Friends, my prayer for you is that you will remember that Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. Jesus loves you. He forgives you. He calls you into ministry, equips and empowers you for that ministry and gives you second chances along the way just in case you make a mistake. May God grant it for you and for your family, for Christ's sake. And happy Father's Day. Amen.